Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. morning, ACF. Let's celebrate being together in church today. So good to be with you. Also, if you're with us online, we love you. We're grateful for you as well. It's a packed house today. It's good to just see all of you together for church, and it's a, it's a big week. Uh, we actually got to start having our Christmas light drive through That launched on Wednesday. Have you gone through? A few of you have clearly excited about some Christmas lights. That's great. Um, uh, so, so far, this is really great. We've had 673 cars come through, so please celebrate that. That's awesome. That is so cool. So, I mean, if you're always, if you're wondering, you know, why Christmas lights? I mean, because there's, there is miles of extension cords out there, by the way. I mean, it's like a lot of lights. Um, I think we're giving Clark Griswold a run for his money, ACF church style this year. And, um, you know, maybe you're like, why, why is this such a big deal? And we, we do these things as a church family, uh, we, because we, we want to show God's love in practical ways to our community. And uh, for the people that are driving on our property, uh, for a lot of them, it's maybe the first time they've ever been on a church church property. And so it's like one step in their spiritual journey. And and as they're driving through, people are asking questions. You know, why would a church do this? Why would they, you know, buy miles of Christmas lights to to just bless us? And and then they start kind of thinking, you know, maybe there's something more to this. And our our goal is that they would hear that, that, that Jesus is a generous God, that he's a loving God, that he meets us right where we're at. And so God reaches out to us in very practical ways. And so what we want to do is reach out to our community in practical ways. You know, God served us so that we could serve others. God loved us so that we could love others. And so you're like, all that from Christmas lights? Yes, all that from Christmas lights. And God can really do amazing things through that. So thank you for serving as part of that. Our small group's gonna be out there tonight. So make sure you come drive through and just hang out with us. It's, it's just a ton of fun being a part of that. Also, we are kicking off a brand new series today called The Ghosts of Christmas. And next week, I'm really excited about the message next week. We're talking about the ghost of Christmas present. And uh, one of the things that I've been trying to do over the past really couple of years is focus on being present. If you're anything like me, I struggle to be present. I'm always kind of thinking about what's next. My mind is always on the future, and I tend to miss the people that are right in front of my face and what God's doing right now. And so uh, I'm really excited to share that next week. But today is the ghost of Christmas past. 
the ghost of Christmas past. We're going to talk a little bit about our past. And as we come into the Christmas season, I know it's a season of joy and Christmas music and eggnog. Anybody still like eggnog or some eggnog fans in there? Anyway, it's terrible stuff. Anyway, um, it's just a season of a lot of joy and presents and gifts and all those things. And, and honestly, there's this expectation around the holiday season that kind of collides with the reality of our daily lives and can sometimes end up making us feel worse about ourselves. Have you ever been there? Where you're like, I'm supposed to be happy, I'm supposed to be joyful, but really, like, I just feel kind of worse around the holidays. And I know for many of you, the holidays are are, are a really difficult time of year. And so we're going to start off as we move into this series and this Christmas season. It's going to be a little heavy, just to warn you as we start off today, because what I want to talk about is how when we look at our past, many of us have regrets, right? And those regrets lead to something called shame. And one of the things I think that can wreck our Christmas season is if you and I are caught up in the shame of our past, And and as we get into the conversation, I want to give you a resource, a a book that I read a few years ago. It's called The Soul of Shame. And maybe you're like, I'm not a reader. That's fine. It's on Audible. You can listen to it, you know, on your way to work or whatever. But this is such a great book. If you, if you leave the, our time together today and you think, um, there's just more work to be done. Maybe you're thinking, man, I just, I I need to continue this conversation with God. Then I want you to pick up this book and and read through it. I think it's going to be really good for you to get some perspective on this idea. Of shame. And so I want to start us off as we get into the message. Sometimes I just like to launch out with the big idea for the day, just so you know where we're going. And the big idea of today is this. It's that the arrival of Jesus means the redemption of your past. The arrival of Jesus means the redemption of your past. Christmas is the celebration of the arrival of Jesus. As we're in the Advent season, Advent is all about the coming of Christ. It's this anticipation for Christ's coming. And then we also live in this season where we're celebrating and looking forward to the consummation of Christ's coming when he is going to return one day and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But here we are in this moment. We're thinking about the arrival of Jesus. We're thinking about our past and the beauty of the arrival of Jesus is that he redeems all that we've been through. That you actually don't have to leave church today carrying the same regrets that you walked in here with. In this series, we've called The Ghost of Christmas. We're kind of playing off the Charles Dickens novel, uh, A Christmas Carol. And if you know the story, three ghosts visit Ebenezer Scrooge, and they're offering him really a chance at redemption, a chance to see his life different than uh, he's seen it before. And The Ghost of Christmas Past visits Scrooge and gives him a, a vision of where he's been. So I want you just right now, as we start off today, to think about where you've come from what you've been through, what the journey has been like to get you to this moment in time right now. The truth is everybody in the room has a story. I have a story. And that story, like yours like mine, is marked by consequences of good and bad decisions. Uh, It's it's marked by uh, secrets and lies and betrayals and relational breakdowns and disappointments and unresolved conflicts and unforgiveness and hurts and pains and words and wounds. All of us have these things in our stories. I want to talk for a second about tattoos. Anybody have a tattoo in the room? Who wants to be honest in church today? We're a tattooed up church. Well done. Well done. Okay. So for those of you who have tattoos, um, my wife has, has like three, I think I'm a pure canvas. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about a couple. I got a couple in mind. I've just never, never done it. And so, um, 
For those of you who have a tattoo, be honest here. Who has a tattoo you wish you hadn't gotten? Be real. <laughs> like all of you, the same one. It's like, yep, I got one. Wish I hadn't. All right, so maybe I'll second guess my life choice. So third question, who wants to show us the tattoo? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that <laughs> in church today. I'll tell you, uh, the internet's full of fun stuff. Still to this day, one of my favorite tattoos is this one. Have you ever seen this one before? I like that. Some of you are like, I don't get it. Um, give you a, no regrets. No regrets. Do you have some? Do you have some regrets? Do you have some things in life that you're like, man, it just this, this keeps popping up, and especially maybe, maybe around the holiday season, these things come to mind, and, um, and and you deal with a sense of shame. And the thing we need to start off with in this room here today is, um, I know that maybe you walk in here from a different background. Maybe you're not. Uh, you're new to ACF. Maybe you're new to Christianity, and maybe you think, oh, these people must have their lives together, or they've, they've kind of figured out this faith thing. Maybe you feel like you don't fit in in this room. But let's start with this reality for all of us, and it's this. Everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. I've got a past. You've got a past. And when you think back on your past, what you feel many times is shame. Shame over those, those things that just didn't go as planned, those words that you spoke that you wish you could have just taken back, those decisions that were made and those wounds that you continue to carry. Now, when I talk about shame, I always want to draw a distinction between guilt and shame. This is really important as we talk about this because uh, guilt can be a good thing. Guilt is actually something that we should feel. Like when my, my son punches my daughter, I want him to feel a little bit of guilt, right? To know that he's guilty. But what I don't want him to feel is shame. And Kurt Thompson in his book, The Soul of Shame, he explains it this way. He says, researchers have described shame as a feeling that is deeply associated with a person's sense of self, okay? It's the deep sense of self that's connected to shame. Apart from any interactions with others, guilt, on the other hand, emerges as a result of something I have done that negatively affects someone else. Guilt is something I feel because I have done something bad. Now listen to this. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. Do you see the difference? You see, guilt is this acknowledgement, I make mistakes. We all make mistakes. We all have a past, have a story. But then there's shame, and shame is something that hits us at an identity level. Something that hits us as human beings at a soul level, we begin to identify with the thing that we've done. Uh, last week, I was, I was trying to kind of get my head wrapped around this idea, and so I, I just went on social media, and I was curious. I was like, you know, this is a little deep for social media, but would anybody be willing to share something that they regret, that they've been through? And in less than 24 hours, I had over 150 responses on that post. And uh, some people hit me in my DMs with stuff that was extremely deep, extremely painful. And I'm like praying for people. And it just showed me how quickly people come up with a regret. Like it wasn't a difficult thing for people that I know to come up with at least one thing that they regret about their lives. And many of them had multiple things that they regret. So, so what do you regret? Do you have some regrets, some shame in your life? For me, I have some regrets and some things that I'm like, man, I just, I wish I hadn't done that. And I know, I know for, for some of you, when you hear the pastor say he's got some regrets, some shame in his life, you're thinking like, what'd you do? Maybe like steal a friend's Netflix, Netflix login or something like what, what kind of shame does Brian have? But no, for real, like I've got stuff that I've done, things that I've been through and, and said and done where I'm like, man, there's, there's some real shame there. Um, so years ago, I kidnapped my cousin's son. Um, now I'm going to give you some context before you freak out. This is a big deal. Um, you're like, how are the children? Are they okay downstairs? The children are fine. So 
Here's what happened. Here's the story. So I am a middle schooler, and I used to spend the summers with my family in Maine. And we're actually at the Bangor State Fair in Maine. I don't know if any of you have been to the Bangor State Fair, but uh, we were there. And earlier that morning, we were watching TV together as a family, and we're just sitting around. And there had been this, this on the news, this recent rash of kidnappings at the, at the fairs. And I'm like, man, that's, that's horrific. That's terrible. So we go on later that day, we're walking around the fair and somebody had the idea, let's, let's go on some rides. And so my grandfather and my cousin, they, they, they have the stroller, the baby's in the stroller and she walks away from the stroller over to the booth with the tickets. And, and so does my grandfather. And I'm standing there as a middle schooler and I'm like, what is she doing? We just watched the news. Like, come on, right here. Like, this child is sitting out in the middle of nowhere. And so God spoke to me, right? God said, you need to teach her a lesson. Um, because you're 13 years old and you know how to parent a, a child. And so, um, so I grabbed the stroller. And I walk off with the stroller. And I walk around one of the other vendors. And they're over there for a good another minute or so. And I'm like, serves them right, right? So I, I will not forget this to, my, to this day. She turns around. And she doesn't see her child. And I have never heard a woman scream like she screamed in that moment. It was blood curdling. And then, I mean, in a split second, people are running every direction. My baby, my baby. Oh, my God. Call the police. Call. You know, they're running. And I'm over here going, oh, what have I done? Right? And I got this decision. But do I just walk off with the kid? Do I, like, come back here, you know, and admit my guilt? And... And finally, I just like, I'm like, I got to So I come around the corner. I'm just like, hurt, 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 and come out in front of them. And, and she sees me and runs over and grabs her child. And she looks at me and she's, you could just see the look in her eyes. Like your mother will cry when I see, when she sees what I've done to you. Like this anger and this rage that I've never seen in my life. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I felt this, this shame, right? This feeling of like, how could I ever have thought that was a good idea? But I mean, everybody's got those moments, right? We're in the moment. It seemed like such a good idea to, to, to say that thing or to do that thing in the moment. It seemed like the right thing. And then maybe you felt these words before. I'm just a horrible person. <laughs> That's how I felt after that moment. I felt like, man, I'm a horrible person. And when you feel like a horrible person, you have two options. When you feel shame, you have two options. The first option is to bury it. Just kind of close that door. Let's never open that one up again. The second option is to process it, is to work through it, to let the light of Christ shine on that thing in your life. And when we bury our pain and we don't process it, what happens is it starts to produce things in our lives. You see, an unprocessed past often produces a few things. The first is bitterness. Um, if you have bitterness in your life, a lot of times that comes from unprocessed pain in your past. We start to become victims of our own stories and push people away. The people sometimes that love us the most, we push them away. We get bitter with them. I know I, I, I get that feeling. I get that temptation. And maybe you start to live a separate life because of your, your, your shame. Separate life from your past. Separate, from, or separate life from your spouse or from your friends or from the people that love you from your church all because of the past that you have not processed. I think it also leads to acting out in different ways. We want to numb ourselves to the shame, and so we have these coping mechanisms that we use to, to process and work through the past. And I'll tell you, in the holiday season, for a lot of people, a lot of unhealthy habits come up. Around Christmas time, some of these unhealthy behaviors start to pop back to the surface. We begin to act out. And I think many times it's because the holidays bring up the shame of our pasts. I think it also brings out fear. 
You haven't processed your, your past. There's going to be fear that comes out in your life. Sometimes our deepest fears are the result of our deepest wounds, the things that we have not dealt with. And these fears are keeping us from the calling that God has on our lives. You know, maybe, maybe you got dumped by that guy or girl and you're, you just haven't gotten back out there and, and started kind of looking around again because you're like, man, I don't want to be hurt again. And maybe you messed up as a parent and you said some things that you shouldn't have said. So you've fully, fully disconnected from your children and you just haven't been leaning in for a while. And you're like, no, I need to, need to do this. But I just have, I have fear because of the shame in my life. Perfectionism comes out when we haven't dealt with our past. Uh, we have to remove every possibility of flaws so that we don't have to feel shame again. So we expect our, our kids to be perfect, our, our spouses to be perfect, our friends to be perfect, our lives to be perfect. This is why often the most critical and angry people in your life are dealing with a deep-seated sense of shame. So I want you to think, who is that person that, man, it's just like they're critical of you, they're angry at you. Maybe it's like a parent who's constantly critiquing the way that you parent and they can't stop telling you what to do and you're just like, what is this? What's going on here? And and oftentimes there's a deep-seated shame. There's something that hasn't been dealt with. We talked about this last week, a little bit isolation. We, we tend to isolate from people when we feel shame. We shut down on community. We run away from the people that would love us in our shame and help us work through those things. Maybe you felt this walking into church today or maybe in years past where you kind of felt like, I didn't even want to go to church because of my shame. Like, why would I go to church? I already, already feel bad enough about myself. Maybe you've, you've felt that before. Because in your mind, like when you get around Christians or get around the word of God or get around uh, the church, you just feel shame. And I just want you to know if, if you connect Christianity to shame in your life as a pastor, I want to apologize for that. I just want you to know like if it, if it was a, a, a church leader, if it was me, if it was somebody else that connected, uh, that connected God and, and Jesus to shame in your life, that that does not look like Jesus. Jesus does not want shame for you. He does not motivate through shame. This is not how Jesus wants to work in your life. So with all of that in question, all of the things that we've gone through and the question of like, how do I deal with this? Here's, here's what I want you to wrestle with, with is, is, is how should we view the things we've gone through? How is it that we should view these things? Is all of my pain a waste? Will it always define me? Is my future already determined by the things that I've done wrong? Well, it is the Christmas season, and we're talking about how Jesus shows up to this dark world. And, and before Jesus showed up, there's another guy that kind of hits the scene, and his name's John. And uh, John is known as John the Baptizer, or if you're a church person, John the Baptist, right? And apart from Jesus, John is probably the most theologically significant person in the Bible. He's born as a fulfillment of this prophecy that there would be this voice crying out in the wilderness, in the darkness. He's called the baptizer because he shows up and baptizes people. Pretty obvious. Um, but it was different, right? Because up to this point, God's people had done baptism. They, they had, they had these, these cleansings that they would do when there would be sin in God's people. They would always come back. They'd make an offering at the temple. They would, they would do these ceremonial cleansings. And John's like, I want to give you this new kind of baptism, a baptism of repentance, of a new way of seeing yourself, a new way of seeing God. I want to give you a baptism once and for all. Something that's, that's going to indicate that all of your sin, all of your story, all of your shame is going to be dealt with once and for all. That's, that's good news, right? Like if that could be true, we could all be set free. And this is what he showed up saying. And when, he, when John arrives, the timing is intentional. 
he literally arrives at the darkest moment in human history. God had been silent for 400 years. People were thirsting and yearning to hear from God. And John hits the scene and he's preaching one message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Think different about your life. Think different about the world. The kingdom of God is near. There's someone else who preached that same sermon over and over again. You know who it was? Jesus. That was Jesus' favorite sermon. If you read through the gospels, it's repent. The kingdom of God is near. So again, the timing of this message is clear. Maybe today you showed up and it feels dark. For you, you're like, my life feels like 400 years of silence. Feels like God is a long ways away. Like there's just so much weight and burden in my life. Well, here's the good news for you today. Is that when your life is at its darkest, Jesus is at his nearest. When your life is at its darkest, Jesus is at his nearest. This is when God loves to break through in your life. Is when it feels dark and hopeless. Uh, John's father, Zechariah, he was also given a prophecy about John showing up. We find it in Luke chapter one, and it says this. It says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high, for you will go on before the Lord. John is known as the forerunner of Christ, the one that came before Christ, uh, preparing the way for him. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So how do you get salvation? He didn't say the knowledge of salvation through fixing your life, through changing your habits, through removing your shame on your own. No, salvation through the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So what this text says is that God wants to remove your shame and replace it with peace. That his light wants to shine on that dark part of your life He wants to actually help you to open up that door that you never want to open up again and let the goodness and grace of Jesus shine on that part of your life so that you could be set free. That is the good news. The rising sun will come to us from heaven. Who's the rising sun? Church answer, Jesus. Jesus is the rising sun to shine on those living in darkness. Who's living in darkness? We are. Everyone who's living apart from Jesus lives in darkness the darkness. And so John is declaring, he shows up preparing the way for Jesus, literally like screaming at the world. I know it's dark, but redemption is coming. I know it feels hopeless, but hope is here. I know you feel lost in your sin and your shame, but the savior is coming. This is really, really good news. And what that means, if if Jesus loves to show up, if he's nearest in the darkest moments of our lives, it means that our entire lives have set the scene for a Christmas-like collision between God and your soul where the power of Christ overcomes the darkness once and for all. That's the gospel. That's what we want to talk about every single week. Isaiah 54 says this, fear not. Some of you need to hear that today. Like you showed up today fearful. Fear not. You will no longer live in what? Shame. What a beautiful declaration. God says, hey, I have something for you. Don't be afraid. You're not going to have to live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. And then he says something interesting. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Let's be real in church. Anybody got some shame from their youth? Some decisions? Yep. Okay. (laughs) That's where a lot of shame comes from, right? We think back to our teenage years or our 20s and we're like, man, Stupid. Like, why did I do that? Right? I look at my life and I'm like, why did I make the decisions I made? I was reading this week um, about how our brains kind of develop when we're young. 
And uh, this study I was reading talked about kind of the two hemispheres of your brain, right? The, the right and the left. And he was saying that the right side of your brain is our nonverbal and emotional cues, okay? And then the left side of our brain is our language and our logical thinking, right? And so when you're born, the right side of your brain is more developed than the left. And so literally, like, you've got feelings, but no way to really understand or communicate those feelings. That's what happens when you're very, very young. And this blew my mind, is that research shows that you feel shame for the first time between 15 and 18 months old. Think about that. So just kind of side note, if you've got an infant downstairs uh, with our ACF kids uh, serve team members, just so you know, they're not just babysitting, they are praying for your children. You might think, well, they're just kind of holding a child. No, they are praying for your children because we know that this, this shame can hit us young, 15 to 18 months old. Interesting, interestingly enough, you don't understand guilt until you're like five years old. So you've got this gap between zero and five years old where all you can feel is like, I did something wrong. I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to process it. I just know that I'm bad. Whereas guilt is an understanding of like, oh, it's, it's not me. It's this thing that I did, right? That's the important thing is that if you have shame in your life, it keeps you from knowing the difference between the who and the do. You get that? Like you don't know the difference between the who and the, the do. And so what you do is who you are. You're constantly identified as a person by the things that you do, and that will always lead to a life of shame. This is why Jesus is such good news. This is why Christmas is such good news, because Jesus shows up to the world to obliterate our shame. That's why he's here, to remove it from our lives. And as you read through the Bible, you just see that it's full of people that God chooses to use who we would have never chosen. If you really understand, you read the Bible, you see who these people are, you're like, why would God choose that person? Same reason he chose you or me. Because that's a broken person God wants to redeem. So David is one of those people. Like, people love to study the life of David. One of the reasons we like David is because we can relate to him because he was a sinner, like we are, right? So if you know the story, David and Bathsheba, right? There's this, there's this affair that goes on with this woman who's married to this man, and then David tries to get rid of the husband by setting him to the, to the front of the battle line so that he could be killed first, right? So look at that, adultery and murder. And this man wrote the Psalms. He's in your Bible. This is the, these are the people that God loves to redeem and to use. Here's what he says in Psalm 43. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. So good news to you today. If you feel shame, seek God and he will answer you. He says, he delivered me from all my fears. Notice just the theme of fears connected to shame. Again, there it is again, like fear and shame go hand in hand. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So I love that. David's like, you want, you want to talk about shame, murder and adultery in my life. But he says, you know what? When I look to God, when I, when I approach God, maybe it's scary when you feel shame. When I approach him, the last thing that comes to mind is shame. So think about that. Like, that might not be your perspective. And so I hope today you can reprogram your view of God, your view maybe of the church, your view of the Bible, and see that when you come and see the real Jesus, the real Jesus does not want to give you shame. He wants to give you peace. And I love that idea that they're, they're radiant. It's almost like the, the reflection on your face when you look to God is not this, this, this face of, of shame. It's a face of, of joy, of peace, of healing. That's what God wants to do in our lives. And so 
if you're a Christian here today, you might be thinking, well, okay, that sounds great. Okay, Jesus redeems me, like he saves me out of my shame. Then why do I still feel shame? Like, why do I still come back to these things? Why do, why do I still wake up in the morning sometimes thinking about that thing that happened years ago? I think here's why. I think it's because we are all learning to embrace what we say we believe. Everyone in the room is still learning to embrace the things that we say we believe. I know I am. In fact, I shared something about this a few weeks ago, and I got some interesting comments about it because I don't think it was something people expected to hear. But I, I shared that I get off stage many times and I preach to you and I share these things that I know in my mind are true. And then I get off the stage and as I'm walking around this room almost every week, I, I pray and I say, God, would you help me to believe half of what I just preached? And that might sound weird to you. Like, what, what is he just making stuff up? No, no, no. No, I know at a psychological level that, that this stuff is true. But if you were to look at my life, and we were to get really honest with one another, what you would see are parts of my life where belief in these things is not reflected, where my doubts are made visible by the way that I act. And I would guess the same is true for you, that we are all still learning to embrace and believe what we know is true. So what is true? What's true about you is what God says about you. And so for you, if you're dealing with shame, it's like, well, you got to have an answer to that question. you got to wake up in the morning and go, what does God say about me, Right? Right? There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen, right? Amen. Listen, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are the things you have to have burned into your mind so that when you're feeling shame, you can combat it with the truth of what God says about you. We're all still on this journey of learning to believe the things and embrace the things that we say we believe Another guy that was pretty broken in the Bible is a guy named Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. We know he's a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. Um, so you can imagine when uh, he was finally had this amazing conversion moment that the, the church leaders were like, we don't believe you. You know, he shows up and he's like, I think God wants to use me. And they're like, yeah, we'll see because you like to burn our friends at the stake. So I can imagine the tension there. But Paul is used by God in powerful, powerful ways. And I love that he's still in touch with his past. Paul knows where he's come from. I think this is why Christians become so judgmental, I think, sometimes, is because we forget where we've come from. Everybody has a past. We forget what God has brought us out of, right? What God has rescued us from. I think so many times we don't even know what God is protecting us from in the moment. I mean, what would your life look like if God just removed his hand of protection from you for just a moment? Who would you become? It terrifies me to think of who I would be apart from God's hand on my life. That's an important journey to go on in your mind so that you can go, man, God's grace is really good. Like, it's really a beautiful thing. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. So Paul's like, if you walk into a room of Christians and wonder, like, who's the worst sinner? Let me help you out with that. It's me. I'm the worst. That's what Paul says. What's interesting about this text is Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying that everyone should accept. So he's prescribing this saying to you and to me. And this is important, and this is going to seem a little counterintuitive on this conversation of shame because you're like, well, that seems pretty shameful, right? Like, how can you not believe, how can you believe that and not feel shame? But no, Paul's saying, like, this is something we all should embrace is that we are all the worst of sinners, 
That we all, like none of us bring anything to the table. And that realization that you bring nothing to the table is the moment that you see how beautiful the cross is. I want you to understand this, that if you continue to believe this lie that you bring something to God and that he sort of like finishes off the work, right? You're like, well, I'm pretty religious and I do some good things. I don't cuss all the time. I try not to get drunk, you know, like I don't look at bad things on the internet. And then, and then Jesus takes it the rest of the way. So you kind of bring your self-righteousness to Jesus and then Jesus finishes the job. That is a lie. That is not good news. That, is, that will lead you to shame every single day. But the moment that you say, I bring nothing to the table, that I have nothing to bring to the table, that Jesus does everything for me, that's the moment that you can experience peace because you can give up on this whole, like, I'm going to fix myself thing, right? Listen, I think so many Christians feel shame. It's not because you think that you're the worst, I think it's because you still think you can win over your sin without Christ. That's a shame-inducing reality. It's like, I can still beat my sin, and I can still bring my good works before God, and then God's going to do the rest, and then I can assist Jesus in my salvation. Listen, when you finally realize that you can't assist Jesus in your salvation, I think that's actually the moment that you get saved. I think it's the moment that you step from darkness into light. The Bible's pretty clear. God rescues dead people. He takes dead hearts and makes them alive. He doesn't rescue people who are on, you know, life support. People who are like, ah, just struggling. Like literally when we're not in Christ Jesus, it's like the Bible talks about our souls and our hearts being dead in our sin, dead in our transgressions, right? So here's the truth. This is, this is good news. So when you're not in Christ, you don't just sin. You're literally a sinner. At an identity level, you are identified by your sin. Or maybe you use the word mistakes. So when, when you're not in Christ, you don't just make mistakes. You're a mistaker, okay? Like at a root level, we are identified in our sins. But then when we finally admit, I can't fix my life, and we step over into life in Jesus, and we say, I surrender my heart to you. This is good news. When we step into this, it's not just then we conquer sin. We are, Romans 8 says, more than conquerors. We are now holy and righteous and pure in the eyes of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Once we step into that relationship with him, do you see the hope in that realization that you can stop striving to, to please God? You don't have to show up here and be like, here's what I bring to the table. Paul says this over and over again. Like every good thing I've ever done is trash. Like, like I know apart from God's grace, it's just trash. I bring nothing to the table. And when I realize that God can save me from that spot. You see, I think another reason we feel shame is this. It's that we either ignore the past or we still live there. Some of you, man, you just, you keep that door shut in your mind. Like I, nobody goes in that room. There's padlocks all over this door. Like ain't nobody opening that door in my life. Cause I just want to, I want to leave that where it is. And the pathway to peace in your life is cracking that door open. And by the grace of God, you can allow the cross to shine on that part of your life and heal those deep wounds. So some of us just ignore the past feel shame. Others of us kind of, we still live there, right? We're like Uncle Rico on Napoleon Dynamite, right? We're just like, we're still caught in 1985 when it comes to our shame, which is interesting because studies show that like for people who have gone through trauma and, and difficult situations in their life, that trauma causes you to literally stop developing emotionally. So it's why there's so many people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s who are still emotionally teenagers because that's where the trauma happened. And so what happens is that we just, we never develop beyond that state. And what God wants to do is take us back to that spot. 
He doesn't want us to live in the past. He wants us to move through the past, to go through it, to allow God to work in that moment. The great theologian Johnny Cash says it this way. Um, He says, I'm not joking, he's great. Uh, He says, you build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. Close the door on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. So you go, you don't just close the door on it, but you don't dwell on it. So here's my point. I believe that the past is an important place to go, but a terrible place to live. Is there part of your past that you kind of still live there? You still sort of reside there? And I mean, this would be a courageous question to ask is ask somebody in your life, what are the themes that come out when I tell you stories? Like, is there one story that kind of keeps popping up all the time? That thing that happened to me years ago? Is there something that I continue to talk about? That it's clearly an unhealed wound. Does that make sense? Like there's an unhealed wound in my past, this story, this shame that keeps coming up. And it's almost like I still live in that moment. So I, I, I get some of you are like, I would never ask my friends that. Well, here's the deal. Like that's what it takes to get honest because your friends probably see the things that you don't. Your family members, they see the themes. They see the things that you keep going back to that need to be healed and you might not see it. And so if you want to get healed from shame and experience peace, you're going to ask really difficult questions and ask for people and for God to show that to you. So here's the thing. How do we overcome the ghosts of Christmas past? Simply this. I think putting on Christ is how we put away shame. We have to put on Christ. Ephesians 4 talks about this idea that like there's, there's a job that you have to do. Sometimes it's every day. Sometimes it's every hour. Sometimes it's every minute in my life where I have to put on Christ. And as Paul's writing to the Ephesian church, these are people who have a past. These are people who are drawn back into their old idol worship and their old religions and their old ways of living, just like you and I are. You will always be drawn back to the past. The voice of the enemy is always the same thing. You will never leave that moment. It will always be who you are. That's a lie from the devil himself. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to live there anymore. Ephesians 4.22 says this. It says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. This is so key. He says, throw off your old sinful nature and your formal, former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so here's my assignment to you, is is you need to wake up every day putting something off and putting something on. Taking something off and putting something on. Now he talks about your old nature. Take off your old nature. Notice he doesn't say take off your old habits or your old decisions. He he says your nature, which is literally your heart, your old heart. You see, our tendency is to wake up in the morning and to live like our hearts are dead, to live like that old version of ourselves. He says, you know, you need to throw off that old heart and then put on your new heart, which is alive in Christ. If you guys guys read Ezekiel 36, 26, says that God takes our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. And so there's this tendency to go back to living in this heart of stone. And he says, hey, you have a job to do. You need to wake up every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, and go, I'm just going to take off that old heart. I'm going to put on this new living heart. I'm going to identify with who Christ says I am now. 
I'm not going to fall into this. I call it like dirty, rotten sinner theology. And I hear Christians do this all the time. And it sounds humble, but it's not who you are. They say, I'm just a, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner saved by grace. Listen, if you are in Christ, you are not a dirty, rotten sinner. You are pure and holy and righteous in the eyes of God. Do you hear me? So, so I want you to own that and identify with that. You can say, I forget who I am once in a while. But, but my primary identity is standing in what Christ has accomplished on the cross. See, by living in your sin, you're saying, man, the cross was good enough for everything but this. The, the, the death of Christ was sufficient for everything but this. But living in Christ, owning that identity will lead us to freedom. So listen, as a church family, what we want to do is we want to tell other people that, right? Like that's really, really good news. It's why we get together every single week. It's why we invite our friends to church. We're going to let people know like, hey, there's a place to find peace. There's a place to find hope. That you get healed from your shame. And so one of the things we do as a church family is we want to go into some of the darkest places in our community and share that there is light that there is hope. And actually, some of our team members recently got to do that. Why don't you check out this story? Perfect. Yeah, ready. I am Gavin Gardner. I'm a local real estate agent. I'm also an uh, Air Force Air Guard member in the uh, 176th Maintenance Group. I'm Allie Gardner, and I am the ACF Children's Director at ACF Church. Several months ago, ACF was approached uh, by the Chris Kyle Hospital, uh, looking for a way to bring church to the hospital. And so it, it was one of those things that it just felt like it was, it was um, a delivery of something that we've been asking for or looking for opportunities to, to lean into. brought it home. She said, hey, there's, there's a thing that might be happening and kind of said a little bit about it. And I don't know about you, but um, that sounded scary. Uh, hey, do you want to go into a, a hospital where people are, are having uh, emotional crises or, um, you know, are in very dark spots? And do you want to, to go there and talk to them about God? No. <laughs> it was like, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I can do it. I can do it at the church. That's a safe space. But do you want to go out into the field and do it? And it took a while for me to, to uh, accept that or to, to, I had to pray about it and I had to, to get real and, and I realized that, that those people aren't probably going to come through the doors of the church. And so it took me some time before I was ready to go. So we got pulled into it and now on Thursday nights we go and we uh, enjoy some time with some um, individuals in this hospital where we get a chance to worship with them, we pray with them, we have a message sermon series that we go through with them. We talk about scripture and we talk about things that are real in our hearts and our lives that apply to this. Uh, we tied it around the message of grace. We know that this is an important component of who we are here at ACF. Uh, we want to make sure that we amplify the grace of Jesus. And in this setting, we have the opportunity to show these people that they are seen, they are accepted, and they are loved. With a uh, professional career in the military, uh, these are my people. 
Right? So that's why it means so much to me. They're, they're who I am, they're who I serve with. Um, we've literally been told to go into the world um, and to be sure that nobody's missed the gospel. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of rough stuff that happens to people and there's only one true good message, Jesus Christ. And so to have that opportunity to, to step into that mess and deliver the gospel and say, I don't care what's happened. Everybody has had stuff happen, but Jesus loves you. Jesus knows you, and you are as valuable as anybody else. That's huge. This is really, truly a, a mission-driven opportunity to serve in our community. And this is a community where we know there are a lot of hurts, there are a lot of things that are happening with our military members and our first responders who need this support. And we all know that there is nothing that is going to heal anyone outside of Jesus. And so we just are excited to be part of that story. But we need individuals to help step up to do that too. Um, it can't just be us. We need some others that want to come in and deliver the gospel. This is past beyond a volunteer opportunity or, or a way to, to serve the church, to, to a group that serves me as well. Um, it's become our group, right? And we say that it's, it's um, as uh, impactful as our other small groups that we're part of. We are part of this group. We're not necessarily just leading it. This is, this is a place uh, for us as well. That was awesome. So I want you to consider for a moment, um, where is there darkness that you can carry some light right now? I guarantee there's a place in your life. And maybe it's this. If, uh, if, if you're interested in being on that team, by the way, you can go talk with Allie downstairs. Uh, she's down there with our ACF kids. Or you can email or call our office this week. But just I want you to think for a minute, where is there darkness and where am I intended to be light? And here's what you need to know is that the enemy works in such a way that if he can keep you caught up in your shame, he can keep you hiding the light of Christ. He can keep you from, from showing love to people who need it because you're so caught up in your own story. What God wants to do is set you free today. You don't have to walk in shame anymore. You can actually open that door and you can look in there and you can see the blood of Christ covering whatever you've been through and whatever you've done. We're going to pray in just a moment. I want to give you a chance to just maybe for the last time today to lay that at his feet and to truly walk out of here feeling light and free. If you want to grab your action card here, this is something we do every week. If you're new to ACF and you can kind of tear this off the bottom, you just tear this little, oops, you want to fold it first so you don't tear it in half there. You can tear this card off and we just drop these in the baskets on the way out. And I want you to consider how to take a step forward and we're just going to text you one text this week to remind you of what God did in your heart today and, and to let you know we're praying for you in this journey. And so um, why don't you just kind of check one of these boxes. Maybe your first step is just to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Maybe you've always thought he was the Lord of your life, but then you look at this part of your life and you still are caught up in shame and you realize, no, I haven't given him lordship over that. If he was the Lord of that, I would feel free but I still feel like I'm in bondage, still feel caught up in that issue. And so maybe today you're like, honestly, today I'm going to make him the Lord of all of my life. I'm going to give him that part of my life today. 
Maybe it's that you need help seeing your shame. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm bitter and angry and critical. And you just need some help seeing that. Maybe it's from a friend that you'd be willing to kind of ask, hey, what's going on in my life? What's the narrative that keeps coming up? What's the pattern where I just keep going back to this moment in my life? Or maybe it's just you're going to spend some time tonight in prayer. Say, God, where's their shame? Where's their shame that's hurting my friendships and my relationships? Maybe you need to say that you're just going to stop using shame on others. Have you found yourself using motivation of shame, like trying to motivate, maybe it's, it's, it's staff members, maybe you own a business, and, and so you're motivating your team by shame or trying to. Maybe it's your children or your friends, and you just tend to try to like communicate to them through shame that you don't like what they're doing. And, and the reason you're doing that is because there's shame in your life. So maybe today you're like, I'm going to stop doing that. And I hope maybe you'd never use the phrase, shame on you, ever again. That'd be a good start. Or maybe for you, it's just to come back next week for the ghost of Christmas present. Just to make a commitment. I'm going to keep myself in a rhythm of being around people, um, to be around this family, and to keep hearing about the good news of Jesus. And I just promise you, over time, it's going to get in the, in the cracks of your soul and start to heal you. And also, just at the 11 a.m., hey, I want to encourage you guys to, um, we do have a 9 a.m. service with a little bit more room in a Wednesday night. So there's just no seats in this space. And so at least not very many. And so I encourage you, come to 9 a.m. If, if you can, or come to uh, 7 o'clock on Wednesday. We'd love to see you then as well. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us. And uh, we will continue on in worship. Jesus, we want to just open ourselves up to you right now and ask that you would heal the dark corners of our hearts, that we could open up some of those doors into places that... Uh, Maybe we haven't been in years and allow you to really do the deep work of, of forgiving us. And God, may we trust in the sufficiency of the cross. I want to pray for the man or woman in this room here today who walked in with just tons of shame and uh, isn't even sure where to begin, God, that you would just impress upon them your deep love for them, that you were there in that moment and that you didn't stop loving them, that you didn't abandon them, that by your grace, None of us are too dirty to come to the foot of the cross and to accept your love. So if this is you today, maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your heart, I just would encourage you right now, just say, God, I, I give everything in my life, including my shame, to you. And I ask you to heal me, to make me whole. I ask you to reign and rule in my life. And I, I ask that I would trust that your grace is sufficient for the moments I mess up, for my weakness. And God, help me to see your strength being made perfect in the, in the parts of my life that become restored and the healing that you bring. Jesus, thank you for ACF Church, God. We have a city full of people who, who also struggle with a past, who have regrets and shame. God, may we not hide the light of Christ for ourselves. May we not make the mistake of being so overcome by our own shame that we forget about the people around us. Send us out on mission to our city, we pray with the good news that hope is here. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.